And uh, we're back. Kings of Suburbia. Wow. Special unit. Special <laughs> unit. Special agents, eh? Yeah, we're special agents. Well, uh, as of Tuesday, right? As of Tuesday. We are potentially prospective bounty hunters. That is correct. I think I think we both passed the exam. I believe so. I have faith. What a fucking week we've had. We plan we really did plan on podcasting every night. Yeah, and then it just you know shit went awry. Yeah. We uh we really wanted to give you guys some content every single day, update you, but I think this is better because now we get to kind of recap. Mm-hmm. Kind of decompress, debrief, mm-hmm. and take away some key lessons. Mm-hmm. I have tons of key lessons uh, that I learned from this course and also this past week. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know where you want to start off, Ian, if you want to add anything, but I have a couple of bullet point things that maybe we can touch on. So, yeah, go for it. <clears throat> so, one is I gained a lot of perspective on two law enforcement and kind of when you're dealing with, you know, a traffic stop or, you know, law enforcement's giving you lawful orders, detaining you or arresting or something like that. Um, I learned a lot as to what the legal grounds are, you know, how your constitutional rights are, they're supposed to uphold them and protect them and, and kind of the processes in place uh, to do so. Yeah. I think we can elaborate a lot there and uh, maybe give the people some tips and tricks on, uh, you know, how to best deal with uh, law enforcement in yeah. some of these interactions and kind of our, our thoughts there. Um, we were taught by some OGs in the field, um, you know, some retired chiefs, you know, from all over uh, police chiefs. And uh, they gave us some pretty good insight and some real in the field knowledge. Yep. Um, we also learned some, some takeaways around law enforcement altogether. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, on top of that, uh, the trailer life is interesting. I um, like it. Feels like home. Yeah, as you guys may have know already. Yeah, so we stayed in. Uh, we stayed somewhere for five days in a trailer. Yeah. Uh, to complete our course, and yeah, it was it was interesting. We went to we did a Walmart run, got all our food. I think we talked about that already. So yeah, up until but yeah this point, Elijah's really only. Um, experienced dry camping which is it's cool but having hookups is a different hookups is way better yeah it's really becomes a second house when you have hookups yeah although today i did shower and uh, i showered and i put my arm up in like a weird angle so that it wouldn't touch the ceiling and then i could like shower and get my get water on me and stuff and then I was like, oh, wait, I have so much more space yeah. in this big shower. <laughs> for a trailer, the, yes. the shower's not bad. Yes, for a trailer. Which but is also the big reason I bought that trailer. Yeah. And also, I'm just, a, we're bigger people, too, so it's, it's kind of harder. Yeah, a normal, a normal, like, normal RV shower bathroom with the toilet and the shower being the same thing, it just sucks. It's not cool. And they have that, like, faucet that's not really a faucet. I made sure on this one to get a decent size shower. Um, yeah, it's not bad. It it did the job. Yeah. So it was hilarious on the last day we pulled the trailer. So we had to check out by 12. Yeah. 
but uh, we also had to continue our course. We're like, oh, shit. So we <laughs> we drove there at lunch. We drove back to the trailer at lunch, hooked it up. Fastest hookup job, trailer hookup oh, job we were we've NASCAR ever done. Pit Straight crew. up NASCAR. We went boom, 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 boom. Just hooked it up, bam, ready to go. Tested the brakes, checked it, tested it out, boom. Then we ripped it. We stopped at the gas station, got a couple sandwiches, some yerba mates or whatever, some energy drinks. And uh, then we hit it back there, parked it, and <laughs> we parked our trailer in the parking lot of this uh, police training center. <laughs> it was hilarious. And uh, then we hopped out and got back just in time to continue our course. Yep. And it was it was good. Uh, people were making fun of us. They were like, oh, so you guys just camped out in the parking lot or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, well-deserved. Um, but other than that. Funny how, like, they didn't notice that the trailer wasn't there the other five days, so. Yeah, I, I do have to say the people we went to class with, you know, all love in my heart for all people, usually, if they have a good soul. But they weren't the brightest. No. <laughs> no, they were not. Um, we're not going to shout out any... Uh, Nothing, yeah. Any subsections of uh, categories, but we definitely have a more enriching... Uh, perspective on life now i think that's fair to say there was a couple of girls who had a had an eye for for ian we had to do some defensive tactic tactics training um some basic like handcuffing things like that right. you know how to arrest people and uh well let's just say a couple of girls came over and said oh ian you're the bounty hunter um they said both I, of can us can i, I try to can i please about. can i please arrest you can I practice arresting That's you? That's the craziest. Can I please move. practice handcuffing you? That is the craziest first move to make, by the way. Came Very over. Bold. Wow. But and they also Ian, came Ian over to like, both oh, of us. Oh, sure. Of course. What did I say? No, I'm polite. But they came over to both of us. I don't know yeah. why you're singling Ian. me out. Uh, well, I mean, I'm singling you out because obviously the cuter girl uh, went for Ian. So, Oh, you're mad. I'm not mad in any way. I'm just saying the girl that came after me, you know, there's nothing to talk about there. But you. <laughs> no hate. All love. Oh, fuck. All love? Well, yeah. I mean, hey, people are born different ways. I don't want to, you know, make the girl feel bad. But she wasn't right for me. Although there was some compatibility um, with Ian and his and his girl. Why do you say that? There were a couple of jokes made during the handcuffing procedure that may have resonated. Oh, I see. I see. Do you want to elaborate on what that joke was? I don't. I think you should. There was a... um, You got to talk about... We'll address him as uh, Professor... No, what should we call him? I think we should call him... Chief. uh, Let's just call him Chief. No, no. Captain Rambo. All right. Captain Rambo. Captain Rambo. There was one of our defensive tactics trainers. His name was Captain Rambo. That's what yep. we'll address him as. Yep. The dude was uh, he looked six like, foot and made out of cobblestone. Yeah. He looked like Jocko and that. What's the guy, the Fantastic Four rock guy? Jocko and the Thing had a kid. Yeah, Jocko and the Thing had a kid. Jocko Willink and the Thing from the Fantastic Four. It was crazy. Yeah, that's literally exactly what he looked like. Um... 
It was crazy. And they, and they actually wait. You got to tell them how they had a, how they were all up on you, bro. Like, uh, I don't. I look they, like a criminal. I know. So they were like all of the trainers and uh, like the teachers and stuff. They were coming after Ian on every example. Every example every they called him up. One. And they were like, "Oh, son, you're a you're quite a big man here, you know, or oh, you're you're not too flexible or whatever." And they were like, "C class, if you ever get someone like this, this is what you have to do." And then they would go excessively hard <laughs> on these arm locks and handcuffing. I was like, "What the fuck, dude? yeah, crazy." Um, but yeah, basically, he wanted to demonstrate a double cuff on a bigger fella, so he handcuffed me. Using two pairs of handcuffs, so one on each wrist, and then cuffing the cuffs together. And I, just to be a dick, slipped out of him and was like, "What do you do now?" Because I, you know, he did. Ian did do that, which is usually not his normal operating. No, but I was like, I have to push back. Yeah. This is crazy. So, um, he he goes, "Oh, at that point, I would just cuff him to your balls. So every time you moved, it would hurt." And I was like, "Well." And then, well, no, he, then he paused and was like, unless you're into that freaky shit. And then I made some comment. I forget what it was, but it was along the lines of like, you know, mate, whatever I need to do. Or I don't know what the fuck. But then the chick looked at me and was like, oh, I'm so glad you said something. So I didn't have to. And I was just like reading the script as such. It doesn't seem as elusive or as eluding. As it was in person. I was standing right there when this happened. And I was like, oh, my God. What? Like, I, I mean, we don't need to elaborate on, you know, what that could have implied, really. But you guys get what we're talking about. Yeah. And so she gave Ian a little look. Ian was like, what's going on here? I didn't, I didn't reciprocate. He didn't reciprocate the look. But given that she's the one that approached and asked to handcuff him, I think. It's pretty gnarly, dude. Yeah, I, I I think she was real forward with this one. Um, yeah, but yeah, it was it was funny. What was your uh, what was your review of our primary ground instructor? Oh. Our primary ground instructor was well. Okay, here's here's my review. Is he self admitted this? Okay, he was fat and out of shape. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He said that. He did say that. He did say that. So I'm not being rude. I'm just reciting what he said. He was fat and out of shape. And he, you know, there's an account on Instagram called like McDojo Life or something like that, where basically they show all the like false martial artists out there, like selling courses <laughs> and defensive <laughs> tactics and like Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. It, it's, it's real bad. It's like you're. It's just, it's not good. Um, and this, this fellow kind of reminded me of that. Uh, uh, bless his heart is all I got to say. Bless his heart. What about our classroom guy? Our classroom guy? Yeah. Our classroom guy was just a retired, you know, police chief. He was in, let's just say he was really good at his job. <laughs> and he made every arrest he could. He got uh, all the knuckleheads and put them in jail. Yes, he did. All of them. Yeah. And well, uh, if you, you know, he also he also taught me, he, he said this, it was, it was important to remember, he said, you know, you don't want to put 
people from opposing, um, you know, opposing backgrounds in the same squad car if you're arresting them. And, uh, you know, he's like, you know, you don't, and then you also don't want to put men and women in the same squad car when you're arresting them. And he was like, you know, say you have someone who's, you know, from, I'm just going to say this. I'm yeah. just going to say, they say you have someone who's from the, you know, Aryan brotherhood. You're not going to want to put them with, uh, uh, someone from an opposing gang. <laughs> Anyways, they're all knuckleheads. They're in, yep. So, knuckleheads. But uh, yeah. So the our professors. Let's just say this. This helps our our, our uh, teachers or prof- what do you call them? What would I say? Trainers, instructors, instructors. That's the word I was alluding. Okay, instructors. Our instructors were all from an era of policing without body cams, and they are upset that yeah. body cams exist and i understand i do understand why it makes their job a lot harder and it's more nuanced and nitpicky but i'm glad body cams exist uh, yeah i think body cams are good (laughs) (laughs) given what we learned about like uh, reasonable suspicion so in order reasonable suspicion to detain someone Mm -hmm. and then from there you can once you get if you get probable cause then you can arrest them. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, we learned that stuff. Um, but reasonable suspicion, just going to be honest, guys, cops can, cops always have reasonable suspicion to search you. Yep. Especially if you're in a car. If you're in a car, you you're, you waive your right to privacy um, because of the mobile nature of the vehicle and because of the windows and everything like that. Um, so you pretty much there's always reasonable suspicion if they want to find it. So if you feel like cops are messing with you or this or that, whatever, I mean, are they really messing with you? Because if a cop really wants to mess with you, they can, uh, they, yeah. all they, they can use all their senses and anything that heightens their senses, and but anything not they've the, seen before and anything they've seen before. So one of the things that they did in our class was they showed us all the types of potentially small weapons that someone could have the smallest possible weapons because now that we've seen that we are aware, which we already knew before, but some people may have the first time seen them. Yeah. Now that we've seen really tiny weapons, you know, like a pistol that, you know, fits in, I mean, your palm uh, or something like that, a really small, like little pencil gun or something like that. Now that we've seen that we can search anywhere that that type of weapon could be found. If we have uh, reasonable suspicion and we detain them, this and that, and, they talk about consent and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't consent. Don't consent. <laughs> Don't consent. <laughs> Just, I would recommend not. Just, this is all I'm going to say. It would be in everyone's best interest who is an American citizen to know their first five rights. For First five amendments backwards and forwards. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. The first, yeah, first five. For sure. So, <coughs> do whatever research you want to do. It's important to be well-informed, for sure. Yeah. Because a lot of times they're going to, what I've noticed is, in, it kind of implies this in some of the instruction manuals, um, you know, workbooks and things like that, that we're reading is, 
a lot of times things can be implied mm-hmm. where you can imply consent. Mm-hmm. And that basically means you just don't say no. Yep. Which if we take that same definition and apply that to things like sexual assault, yikes. Not really good, dude. Not good at all. No. So whatever. Anyways, uh, implied consent is a thing in terms of searches and things like that. So you really have to make a conscious verbal. Be respectful. Be polite. Yes. Don't be aggressive. Just very. I would just very clearly demonstrate your knowledge of your first five rights as yeah. a United States citizen. Yeah, and they're gonna. And it's a lot of times it seems as if officers will say, uh, you know, they say, "Oh, I'm gonna just go ahead and search you." Is is that all right? And as they say that, they're already motioning to go ahead and search you. Um, or they say at first, you know, uh, I'm going to go ahead and do a search here. And then as they're motioning, they go, is that all right? And then you don't really say anything because you don't even know. You don't know what your rights are. Yeah, you don't know. So just always be sure, you know, don't make, don't be fast movement. Don't be scared. Don't be nervous. Um, at the end of the day, you know, you do have constitutional rights. And if you're playing all your cards, right, you're being smart, you're being respectful, Things things should should be okay. I think we should clarify: we are not. Uh, we don't legal, have any legal professionals. Have, yeah, no legal professionals. No legal this counsel. Is anecdotal, anecdotal, evidence, and just you know, just personal, opinions. subjective experience. Yeah. Perfect. Well, other than that, I uh, do feel more enhanced and knowledgeable as a person. Yeah. Uh, is it something I'd want to do again? Fuck no. No, dude. Five um, eight five days eight to five, bro. No, come on. Yeah, that was something fucking We else. read, the, our instructor, bless his heart, thankful that he did this, literally just read to us for It was the book entire club time. with laws for five, he just read 40 hours. He just read the book. I was <sighs> like, I could have read this. Nope. I could have read it and probably passed the test on my own, dude. I think I could have passed the test without reading <laughs> Probably. I honestly think so, bro. Like, it was school, traditional classroom shit is not for me. It's not for me. Yeah. It's not my favorite either. Because, dude, now that we know the basics, why why would I want to be in a classroom? I'm trying to go out and and every second is my life. I'm trying to go out and live and build based off of, like, lived and learned experiences because... You know, there's tons of things that you can be taught, and I think everybody knows this. There's tons of things that you've heard before that people have said to you as their truths that are real, but until you've experienced it or lived it, it doesn't make sense. You don't apply it right. You're not applying it at all. Yep. Whatever principle or concept or understanding. And so I think the best way is, okay, be smart, learn as much as you possibly can, you know, through books and texts and people and, you know, experiences like from others and history um, as much as you possibly can but at the same time move 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 do things take steps and and fail and fail and fail and try and try and try because that's how you learn that's how you perceive the world around you it's like you know imagine you're a ball in a void right like a a a speck in a void and you're trying to find the boundaries of the container in which you're in Mm -hmm. well the only way to do it is to just keep going until you hit something and then you keep going until you hit something so just keep doing that over you know tons of tons of trial you'll start to form the outline of what it is that you're really in right now. What is this existence in life and what what are these social rules and 
and what are these understandings and ideas and concepts just try as much as you can you're never going to learn all of it but just keep trying and while you're learning keep moving keep moving always that goes to another thing by the way just as a general life advice to anybody out there and i think me and ian talked about this earlier is always stay in the fight man like we we heard some stories of you know police officers getting shot and then you know not um, you know, failing to to take the necessary appropriate actions to stay in the fight. I mean, they may yeah. have shot, got shot in the leg and they're in shock, whatever, but they can still function. They can still move. They can still try to move themselves to a safe place, safe place, or they can lay down cover fire. Um, you know, just even if he said, even if you ran out of bullets, keep your weapon in the fight because yep. you have to. The biggest thing is winning an int- winning some type of you psychological. Know, si- yeah, altercation is psychological for sure. So do those mental reps. Remember, like, if you're not dead, you're not out. So stay yeah. in the fight and keep moving. Yeah. And, re- and repeat that to yourself over and over. If you're not dead, you're not out. Stay in the fight. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. Whatever you got to do. And so always break down those little basic things. If you're ever in a bad situation, break it down into what are the immediate steps. Uh, I, was, I was listening to some stuff Jocko said. And one of the big things is you need to take a different viewpoint. So if you're wherever you're sitting, standing, laying, whatever, you know, try and push back from the situation, look around, you know, be calm, look around, assess everything what's going on and then make a call and act on it immediately. That's like a second, five second process. But being able to pause, take a second and then continue on a new mission or with your new um, assessment of the situation, given what happened to you or, or, or others around you. So important. So stay in the fight always. Yep. Yeah. That's very good. Thanks, bro. Uh, any uh, anything to add there, or any any other thing that that sparked? Um, let's see. I think it's important. Everyone has prejudices. We learned this. Um, I came into this experience with as open of a mind as I could. And whether or not what I sort of thought before was exactly what the fuck it was is besides the point. I think especially with something like this wasn't fun. There was nothing fun about this. Um, But it's a necessary step. Um, I would just like to say uh, thank you very much um, for the sparkling water. I really appreciate you. Yeah, that was actually, oh, shit, we got sparkle water now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to make a feature. Um, you will be on this podcast, okay? Yep. All right. Uh, on this podcast, your name is going to be Rosette. Perfect. Sound good? We're speaking to our sparkling water server. Yes, so her name is Rosette. So Rosette is going to make an appearance on the podcast. Um, we'll talk about some things like dating and, you know, what we think, what men and women, what they look for and, you know, kind of how days nowadays, like, you know, the things people are looking for are changing or maybe they're not changing. Maybe we thought they were changing and actually people are looking for the old, same old traditional things and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, well, it'd just be good to get, um, you know, a woman's perspective and, uh, yeah, it'd be cool. So Rosette, thank you very much for the sparkling waters yep, and we'll yep. definitely have you on the podcast soon. Ian, whatever you're saying, sorry to interrupt. Um, go into things with an open mind. Also realize Big part of this getting through this class, did it have really anything to do with what we're going to be doing? No, but sometimes in life, there's some bullshit you just have to do to get to the next step, to get to your ultimate goal, and that is exactly what we did this week. Yes, and and this goes to another point is 
I've realized, and I was talking about this today as well, people who have to deal with more bullshit on the regular, if they're able to deal with it, they become so much better. They become better people. Mm-hmm. Like, like, so, you know, I think some comedian made a joke about this. Um, you know, I, I forgot who it was. Sorry, I would say the shout out. Um, but they were basically saying that if you shovel snow on the regular, like if you live in a place that's really cold and you have to shovel this. Who was it, Joe Rogan? Yeah. Okay. So it was Rogan. Shout out, Rogan. Um, it's, it's just so true. Like when you have to do things like shoveling snow or hard things and live in the cold and wear jackets and, uh, you know, like there's a little bit of bullshit you got to deal with every day. It makes you a better person because you just appreciate when shit's going well. Because you realize sometimes life on a regular basis just gives you some bullshit. So, yes, doing hard things and dealing with some bullshit that you got to do now and again usually makes you more chill. Because let's say you live in a non-very seasonal area. You don't realize how much of a lack of, like, bullshit tolerance you have. Totally. You forget. And, and, then, and you're like, oh, shit, there's some bullshit people deal with on the regular. Exactly. So when you interject some bullshit in your life, it makes the very small things really not matter. You know? Like, yeah. if there's 12 inches of snow outside and you're like, fuck, I just, you know, lost my car keys. You're like, okay, whatever. Great. This is more time before I have to go in the snow. Ex- exactly, dude. That is so funny. I can't tell you how many times I've lost something in the East Coast. And I was like, all right, well. Five more minutes of warmth. Yeah, at least I can be in the warmth for a little (laughs) bit longer. So, yeah, for sure. This is one of those things. We have our goal. Um, This was just an unavoidable thing we had to do to to get to it. And uh, whether it applies or not, we. uh, Tuesday's podcast, by the way, is going to be a special announcement because we may be (laughs) fucking bounty hunters. We might be. So, depending so on our scores, early. yeah, Tuesday, special edition. Oof, Tuesday, a- special edition, Dead or Alive, is that, can we name it that? I think we can, dude. <laughs> I think we can. That'd be good. So, watch out uh, this coming Tuesday, Dead or Alive. Dead or Kings Alive, of Bail Bonds. <laughs> yeah. That's bad. That is bad. That's kind of cool, though. Um, um, yeah, I mean, it's... I don't know. A lot of things to do this month. There's gonna be a lot of lot of growth this month. A yeah. lot of uh I think we need to hold ourselves publicly to some standards right now. Oh, I'm all up for it. I was also one to say I wanna go on a little bit of a rant and just talk about some key things in life, um, about like men and strength and competency, things like that. Yeah. So absolutely should give give us tell the people what we're doing and we'll tell them that we'll uphold that. Yeah. Um, we mentioned it once on the first episode. I am, uh, I've been boxing for a little bit now. Um, I'm really trying to pursue this as a thing. So, um, the training and the diet and the lifestyle is, uh, going to be implemented very, uh, strictly. And, um, we are going to see where it goes to the best of our abilities. And um, there's going to be a lot of boxing talk. Um, I'm going to train every day, uh, whether it's 
in a group or personal group or private setting. I'm going to be training every day. And uh, as soon as I uh, can and I'm ready, uh, we're going to get a fight on the books. And uh, whether that's uh, well, the level of it is is speculative at this point. Um, whether it's amateur or pro, we will have a fight. Correct. Uh, and I second all these statements with Ian. I uh, want to continue uh, to pursue boxing, and I want to pursue uh, my goal with boxing is to have uh, my first bout, whether that be amateur or pro. Um, at the heavyweights, it seems like it's a little bit of a um, one of those weight classes that kind of is in need of some love right now Yep. Um, and some attention. So, um, you know, it may be easier for us to just go pro and straight off right out the bat and, and not do amateur um, or maybe we do amateur and then we go pro. We'll see how it is. Um, but when we say go pro, we need to clarify this because this is a very heavyweight specific issue. Yeah, very heavyweight specific issue. Generally, there's a shit ton of weight classes um, that most of the population falls into. Therefore, there's a much larger uh, competitive pool of of people trying to climb these ranks, and it needs to be a bit segmented in terms of uh, level, I guess. So you prove yourself in however many amateur fights and then you kind of upgrade and you get uh, moved to the pros. Uh, and, and when I say pro, generally pro fights, um, professional, all that means is you got paid for it. Um, that might be a $200 fight, but that'd be the best $200 I ever <laughs> make. It's, it's, it's what you have to do to, to get some notoriety and it's, you know, what everyone goes through. Um, but with the heavyweights, there is a, a lack of, uh, populace. Um, and within the heavyweights, it's a, it's a huge problem that every other weight class is divided by about 10 pounds, five to 10 pounds, depending on which organization and which discipline of martial arts you are competing in. But generally there's pretty, uh, defined areas of it. With heavyweights, it's 205 and up. 205? I thought it was 225. No. Whoa. Yeah. Some organizations, it's 194 and up. So, if, just for your general understanding, there's a significant amount of people that weigh over that. Yeah. But they don't all box. Yeah. Like, as a boxer, you're doing so much cardio. You're doing so much, like, staying, like, you're so active, so sweating so much, and your body just leans out naturally. And so a lot of people, when they do this type of exercise, their resting weight is in the is way below 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. But people like us that are resting. We, we, I would look sick at I would 220. Look, yeah. Seriously. I'm not going to say that. No, you would look sick at, at 200. I would look sick at 200. Yeah. I, I 220 to 230, I would look probably my peak. That'd probably be my best. Yeah. I, I think, I, I believe that like 220 is going to be a, a good weight for me as well. But right now, I'm two, 265. Yeah. I'm, I'm about 270. Right uh, 265, 270. 265. I think both. I think we're pretty much both the same. Yeah, we're about yeah. the same weight. Um, and the, and the thing the thing with heavyweights is, like I said, it's it's a certain number, whether it's 194, 205, I don't remember the exact number right now, um, but it's that and up. And so when they say end up, 300 is up. 
280 is up. That's crazy. 270 is up. So there's no, there's no parameters. So what makes kind of getting notoriety and, you know, clout as a heavyweight is there's a lot of by chance stuff. I mean, at other weight classes, you know you're not going to be fighting somebody that's more than 5 or 10 pounds different from you. Yeah. There's a lot of fucking leeway in heavyweights. Yeah, that's true. Um, that means, like, someone who's our weight can go up against someone who's 205. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a significant difference. I, I I play rugby, and I played rugby for four years uh, in college, and then, you know, I play a little bit here in kind of a men's league. It's uh, 265 versus 205 when you're smashing into somebody, the amount of force generation that is, that's different there, it's crazy. Like, I, I'll, if you're 205 and you're standing in front of me, I'll blow you up. Yep. Like, done. Yeah. No, even most people at 265 don't have the force generation to be able to really, like, significantly damage or take damage from someone who can generate force at 265. Yeah. So, yeah. point is, there's almost, there's not enough heavyweights to really differentiate between pro and amateur. And... Entry level, it's not like they just, they're not going to throw you in with fucking Anthony Joshua, right? Yeah, no one would pay to see that. Yeah. These pro, when I say pro fight, all pro means is you're getting paid. They might as well be amateur fights, is the point. So So heavyweight is just a little bit weird. So we're not saying like, all right, we're going to be, you know, we're not like calling out Dana White on this podcast, like something like that. But um, we are potentially, we're going to have either a pro or amateur um, fight. Um, yeah, that's my goal with boxing is to do this uh, at least four to five times a week and, um, you know, just keep getting better, improve my skills, get in the, get in the ring, um, do some sparring. Obviously I need to, you know, get my fitness there in terms of my cardio, my endurance, um, and then uh, all around technique. And, uh, I hope to do that. Um, you know, I have a little bit of experience with boxing just like for working out. Cause I always do just hit the bag as much as I can for a workout. But other than that, I don't really know so much technique technique. I don't know how it is really like doing these sparring drills and things like that. I've never really done that at a high level. Um, other than shout out to my friend, Sean, uh, homie scraps, but <laughs> never, never done stuff like that. Um, so I'm excited. And I, I think when you're stepping into something new, you get to experience a lot of exponential growth really quick. Ian has already, he's been boxing for six years already, so he kind of already experienced that growth, and now he's trying to just refine and get back, because now he's heavier, so he has to, it's like in basketball, when you get more muscle, you got to relearn your shot. Mm -hmm. Now he's heavier, so in boxing, he has to kind of find that new vibe and rhythm. Just, uh, that's what he's working on, like fine-tuning and, I'm just getting to the point where I'm just going to learn all the basics and skills, and then, hey, I'm going to hop in the ring and <laughs> see what happens. So that's kind of where we're at. But Hopping in the ring goals. is, and I remember this. I forget. Have you have you sparred, sparred before? Like, not never with a referee. Like headgear pads sparring? Yeah, but never with a referee. Okay. Like, we just. Just fucking around. Yeah. It is. I remember the first time I sparred with my coach, and I was distraught afterwards. Really? Yeah. Damn. I was questioning life choices afterwards. Um, you, 
build up. All, it's like shooting. It's like any. It it's similar to shooting, right? You're standing at the range. Your target's seven feet away. Pretty easy within at least a week to refine your skills to where your your shot circle is pretty small, right? Mm. Oh, the difference between shooting in a real life situation versus shooting at the range. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's right. a huge difference. Now have someone bust in your house and shoot them. Yep. Because shooting's not just shooting. It's like, and people, okay, that's a really good point to bring up, that little that point on, like, it's totally different. Because people always go, oh, why don't you shoot him in the leg? <laughs> you don't understand. <laughs> that's like if you were to tell, like, I, my presumption of what it would be like, would be like, You'd be like, come on, Ian. Like, why didn't you do, like, your one-two combination? Like, you, why didn't you just do this? Like, oh, obviously, in retrospect, you could have just hit him with a cross or you could have done this uppercut right here or what the heck. In the moment, it is not, I imagine. And from what I know, when punches are coming at me, when things are hot, when it's flying, like, it is way different. And in retrospect, when you watch yourself on film or something like that, of course, you can see some things. You try to improve always, but... You know, hindsight film is twenty twenty. Film is big. Yeah, but and when you're shooting someone, bro, you can't you can't shoot at the leg. You're not aiming at the leg. You're aiming center mass, right in the middle, exactly. biggest target. Yep, that's how it goes. With that is hitting the bag, obviously different than hitting a person that's moving and bobbing, right? And that's active, and that's not. Yeah, and that's dead trying weight. to hit you back. Exactly. Right? Here's the thing: it is, and it's people. It was, I first time I was all pumped. I had maybe I think I had boxed for, I had. Done pad work and bag shit for maybe a month or two before my coach was like, okay, you got the fucking, you got the foundation. Let's see. Let's start, you know, let's take it up a step. And he went so easy on me. Oh, he, he went, went, he went so easy. And you were still like, what the fuck? Yeah, bro. Um, there is a, it, I might as well have fucking not done those two months. <laughs> to be honest. So I, there's a lot of, I don't know if Ian still has them up. No, no, you don't. Not right now, yeah. All right. But, um, there used to be, Ian has video of him boxing, and you see his progression. He, at first, <laughs> it was kind of funny. Um, but then he got he got pretty damn good. Yeah. He was getting, like, his sparring sessions were legit. His long. Uh, he was going up against bigger guys, like, all, you know, all types of dudes, smaller, faster guys. His sparring stuff looked pretty good. So it's yeah. but at first it was funny, dude. Come on. You gotta I don't even f- post the first. I don't even think I filmed. Carlos was there. No, I don't know. It was the first first one, but it was one of your earlier ones. Like you were still kind of getting your feet. Yeah. But then on your later get, ones, then yeah. you were really like delivering a lot of like blows. An, it's like an avatar when they first wake up. Exactly. You know how they don't like know how to really like walk yeah, right. Yeah, you're like discombobulated. That's what it, a that's what it was, bro. Yeah. And then you learn like there's a gate to it. There's a flow, and there's a certain what. Really, the biggest part of sparring is not the, not the. Obviously, there's some getting used to getting punched in the face takes some getting used to. Yeah, right? and then still being able to go back in a game plan. Yeah, that definitely it, it, seems it, like you need some time with that. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. Um, it's not how it looks. It's not how it sounds in the movies. It's not like, it's its own weird thing that it's a hurdle that you have to overcome. Um, but then also, there's a. Your your f- fitness might be 100%. Your technical skill might be 100%. Mm-hmm. What you're training in the ring is your stress management. Mm. If that's zero, which it was, right? I was pretty fit. Technique was all right. was decent. Two months of, you know, four or five times a week working hard as I could. 
when your stress level, bro, is fucking zero. That shit, like, you. That's what, like, it taps into your tribal primal. Mm-hmm. I'd be dead now. Yeah, that's what you realize. Yeah, that's the hard. You realize, oh, I'd be dead now. Yup, that that's so key, bro. It is hard. Is when you realize when you're when you're boxing, you're sparring, and you and I know it's gonna happen. First time I spar, I'm gonna get beat up, likely. And that it's one of those things that everyone needs. Everyone needs to be punched in the face because they need to realize, and even just one good punch to the face, because you need to realize that there are physical repercussions to your actions. And that if you do certain things or say certain things or act in certain ways, that really bad things can happen. And, and right on the street, yep. right there with another person. Yep. Like, so if everyone acts in this world, like, that's not possible. So when you see what it's like to get absolutely physically dominated to the point where it was like, if this person was doing this with a weapon or if this person was doing it with the intent to kill, like, like going until they won't, like, this person is dead then they could because if you get caught slipping if you get knocked out in a fight you're dead like if you get knocked out in real life you are dead there's no possible you know that and so this is one of those things where i imagine it's it's so insanely like it crushes your ego but then at the same time you crush it yourself and then you build it back up again and it's dude when i say the self-talk after that was insane first of all whether this is good or not doesn't matter your head develops calluses your brain develops calluses. Whether they're being damaged in the process is whatever. The first time I sparred, I walked away half blind with tinnitus for three days. That's hilarious. And then you do it once or twice a week, and it just goes away. That's true. In rugby, like, when I was first doing it, like, I got I got hit in the head, and I'd always, like, you fucking, your head, like, buzzes and shit, and you're like, what the fuck? You keep fucked up for a little bit and i was like damn but then like the more and more that happened i just like continued to play like yeah, it didn't even it's matter a big, it's a stress management thing yeah because like, my, my biggest, head's been fucked up so many times and i'm just like eh. yeah it's a when i realized that i realized oh my god this is a controlled setting okay yeah we have gloves on we mm-hmm. have headgear on we're in a ring there's only so long this fight can continue for there's a time limit mm-hmm and at the end of it, I was like, take all that shit away, and I'd be on the ground fucking dead. Yep. When you realize that, when you realize you just got, if, if the other party wanted to, they could abs- they could take your life. Yeah. You start to go, oh, fuck. It's crazy. Granted, it's not 100% proxy because there's a difference between boxing and violence violence. Yeah. But... It's still damn close, and it still trains those same fucking warrior genetics and those same, the same thought neural processes and the same understandings and the life connections. I think it's so important. I, I think that after this, after I do this first fight, uh, that it's going to seriously make me a better person. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone should strive to do things that are going to make them a better person. Uh, for men, especially young men uh, who grew up in hey, suburbia or whatever it is, like, you got to really, really try your fucking hardest to put yourself in difficult situations so that you can come out a stronger and more capable man. Yeah. And for me, I absolutely I woke up one day and I was like, dude, there's no way I'm not doing boxing. There's no way I'm not. I have to. It's yeah. mandatory. Yeah. I'm not trying to be the greatest in the fucking world. I'm not trying to be whatever. 
but in my mind, what I've defined as if I, what I need to do to like be that champion in my mind is to go ahead and pursue this to a point where I can fight one amateur fight and then continue to progress my skills, obviously. But I wouldn't have to, you know, keep having to fight if I don't want to. And if I find it to be something that I want to, then I can. Yeah. But I'm I'm totally content with that, and that that's that's where I'm at right now. And I think everyone should really strive for that goal. Whether uh, boxing is really important because at the end of the day, in a street fight, when you're really going to encounter violence, it's going to be striking. Yeah. No one's out here like going in karate matches or jujitsu matches off rip with each other, right? Like obviously you can get some kicks in or some jujitsu stuff if it goes to that, but it's really striking. And most of the time, and when it's real violence, you want to strike as hard as you possibly can, as quick as you possibly can, and have the least strikes as possible to deliver as much damage and get the fuck out. That's the plan. Yeah. It's not not regular like you know let's stay in the ring and duel it duke it out type of thing but so that's why it's, that's why it's different but boxing still is going to help you in those moments so you can maximize that force delivery and also your, your like stress management and all that stuff like you're saying yeah the first time it, what's scary is you you're unsure of what it feels like and you're unsure of what your body can handle then you do it four five ten times yeah. and you go you know you're gonna be fine exactly right? yeah so it's like this is one of those reasons why officers lay down sometimes, too, is because it's their first time running over it in their head. They've never run over it in their head. Mm-hmm. So it's their first time experiencing it, and they don't know, oh, shit, in training, when I, they said shot, I would just lay on the floor. Or like, uh, you know, oh, I'm shot, I'm shot. A shot means dead. You're shot. You're shot. Yep. But n- no, if you actually run those reps, if you get in there and actually train more effectively, where like, all right, you're shot, then you got to do everything you can to like stay in the fight without using your legs or something. And then, you know, like have a process. Oh my gosh, this is so much better. So that that's that's what this can help you to do. One thing too, I don't know why just this thought popped in my head. Um, having a coach or a buddy doesn't matter. Having whoever's in your corner, right? Yeah. Huge, huge relay into the real world, right? A lot of people use that phrase reference. You know, who you have in your corner. It's huge. That's that's permeated every part of like most people's like movies, how yeah. they think about the concept in and of itself, and yet they don't understand that it comes from boxing. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so important. And here's it's the so thing is, we forget when you're f- when you're sparring, okay, and honestly, it is like the corner. Whoever's in the corner wins the fight just as much as the person in the ring, if they're good. Because let me tell you, when you're fucking gasping for breath, trying to keep your arms up. You're wanting to drop them. You're wanting to lay down. You're getting fucking tagged left and right. You can't see. When it gets to that crucial, like, make it or break it part of the fight, those simple maybe two words from the guy coming behind you who's looking out for you and seeing it outside your perspective might be the difference between winning and not. When you're fucking, you might be so clusterfucked throwing and receiving punches and you're just literally like i said you're so tired you're just trying not to bend over the guy that's not tired and that's outside a simple just like watch his left side Mm -hmm. that's the reason you need that voice is because you're not having those thoughts you go you go into you go into live mode yeah you go into i don't want to die mode you're not thinking you're not thinking you're just striking yeah so even you're thinking, but obviously as more and more damage is incurred and more exhaustion, like it's way harder to think. Yeah. And this is what I learned is there's a lot of times I would resist it and I'd be like, I can see it. Like I, it was almost, it was a, I felt less about myself for taking those advice, you know, like 
But you realize, like, oh, that's why they're there. Yeah. That's why they're there. And, like, little, so I guess they're seeing trust from a different them. perspective. Trust them. Yeah. When a word comes from your fucking team, fucking trust them and act on it as best you can. Mm, that's a really important thing. Don't even think about it. Don't think about what they're saying. Don't think of why are they saying that. Just do what they fucking say to well, the best of your ability. that's important. And that means you have to trust those people. Yeah. So you have to choose those people wisely. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone, I mean, the general concept that's portrayed, you know, choosing who's in your corner. I mean, that relates and that directly comes from what Ian's saying is that when you're boxing, you those who's in your corner, how they talk to you, the things that they relay to you, whatever it is that they're doing. I mean, that's so imperative to your success. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that you know, extrapolate outward. Make sure you know who's in your corner. Also, this is funny. People in your life. This is what happens. I've noticed this. You'll see beginner guys hit a certain way. Most people, like, when they hit, don't know how to hit stuff. Most people don't know how to hit anything. At all. And you watch them and you're like... Dude, do you know most people, a lot of people don't even know how to throw a ball? Yeah. I had to teach uh, kids like in how to like play rugby. I did like some school mm-hmm. volunteering stuff. So there were like 10, 11, 12-year-olds that didn't even know how to like throw a ball. They, I had to teach a kid how to kick. Like at 12? That was crazy, bro. And th- so there's tons of adults walking around that don't know how to do- don't know how to throw or kick or anything. And it is so so scary. It's so scary. Bro, you can't even do the basic things you need to do to like function in life. Yeah. Like you need to know how to throw a spear, you need to know how to throw rocks, you need to throw things in defense and in pursuit and hunting. You need to know how to kick like it's so imperative for fourth generation at that level to break things or snap things or push things away or or to like whatever you need to do jump like people don't know how to jump bro some people don't know how to jump like and they've never even trained it if you don't train it you never train the neural pathways you never train the neural pathway Mm -hmm. you never train the motor units that's the interconnection between the neurons and the muscles so what the brain's thinking to when the muscles are contracting if you never train those then you're not going to have good motor unit unit recruitment which means then the muscle won't contract at the rate that it should be most of the time when you get in the gym for the first month you go from the strength you're at to your improvement strength and it's significant because you, what you're training is your motor units and your neurons. So if you've never even trained that in the basic capacities of jumping, throwing, pushing, whatever, you are going to be severely disadvantaged in the time in which you have to use it for a self-defense situation. Yeah. You'll notice when people start out, you won't see a, let's say someone has no experience and they practice, you know, hitting the mitts, hitting the bag doing the shadow boxing drills for four months. I feel like that's a fair amount of time. You won't see that much improvement. Shout out Grizzly Wintergreen, by the way. <laughs> Fuck the flavor, man. You won't, uh, you won't see that much improvement. You'll see improvements in their fitness. You'll see improvements in their speed. But in terms of their actual punch, you won't really see anything. And you won't see them really start to improve until they've experienced a punch returning to them. The, p- the way people operate with the heavy bag or the aqua bag or the half bag, whatever it is, whatever bag, they throw different. Like, that's when their skills pop in because now you know, oh, I, I can't train. I have to train as if they're coming back. So then your movements and your bobbing and your weaving and your, your whole gait, it yeah. fucking so goes different, dude. And because you, like, you can, you can tell the way someone hits a heavy bag if they've had punches come back at them. That's why when you look at 
when someone's like hitting a bag. Yeah. You can, the way they move, the way, yeah. For sure. And also, that's why most of the time when you first join a boxing gym or whatever, this is normal. Everybody, this is like everybody, they're hitting the bag and they don't understand. They don't get it. It doesn't make sense. So they're like hitting it and they're like, I don't know, just hit the bag. I don't know. I'm like, hit the bag. That's how everyone is because you've never been in what it's simulating. It's simulating something, but you can't just toss someone into a ring and have them start getting them punched in the face. You got to train them on this. So yeah. this is a part of the lesson. The way they hold their hands is different because when the punches are coming back at you, you hold your hands different, right? Like, and your techniques, like, let's say, like, a big thing is forgetting to forgetting to keep your hands up. And I'm, like, fucking activist. I'm talking. But forgetting to keep your hands up. And it's we'll very get easy. We'll on this, ladies and gentlemen. We'll get videos soon. It's very easy to drop your hands to your waist because what do you do every day? Where are your hands when you're walking? They always down, man. Below your waist, bro. Yep. So that's what you do. That's what's your brain reverts to the lowest level of its training. And that's what it is. Your hands are 90% of the time below your waist swinging. But also, I mean, that's there's a reason for that. It's because you would have to have musc- the muscle contractions to keep holding them up all day. Yeah. So your brain, so obviously you've created so that your hands are just hanging there. That's the least amount of energy use. Yep. And that the more and more you deplete your energy stores, the more and more you resort to positions of least amount of energy use. And what ends up happening is you'll see people before they spar throw punches from the waist or from lower than where they should. After they spar, they're thinking, oh, whatever I'm throwing is fair game for him to throw. So I need to now hold myself, my whole fucking stature differently to um, prepare for this uh, actual combat situation. Yeah, totally. I would recommend, even if you have no plans to fight, amateur, professional, whatever, do a couple privates and do a couple, whatever speed, whatever intensity, do a couple spar sessions. Dude, just look up. Listen, guys, listen. There is so much information available online on the internet, like on YouTube and just all around. I know everyone says that, but it, it is just beyond true. Maybe this is the one day someone hears this and then it clicks for them. So I just have to say that. Like, there's everything out there. Go on YouTube. Look up How to Box 101. My first boxing workout. First time going to a boxing gym. How to wrap your hands. Look up all this stuff. So then when you go, you don't feel as nervous, whatever. What You know the basics. You already did a couple of things. You did some basic fundamentals to train your motor units so you have that. So then you kind of feel what's going on. That's all you need to do at the bare minimum. But, then, thing but then you're going to do it, and then you want to keep doing if it. If you're at a you're boxing a gym where you feel warrior. intimidated, go to a different fucking gym. Yeah. Because anybody who's a real fighter or a real martial artist has no reason to be scary to someone who knows nothing. No reason. So I've never been to, I'm not saying I've been to one like that. All the ones I've been to are super cool, and they should be. Yeah, the more and more dangerous I feel as a man, the nicer and nicer of a person I feel like I become. Yeah. That's it. So, if you're at a place where you feel super welcome, you're probably around some bad motherfuckers, and that's who you want to be around teaching you. You don't want bad people teaching you. No. No. And um, I guess that there's probably some intimidation towards it because it's an inherently violent sport. So, you're associating what you're doing with what you assume the personality of the people there to be like, maybe, but... Bro, it's meant for everyone, all right? 
If you separate the scholars from the warriors, that's not good. No. You be both a scholar and a warrior. It's important. Even if you're a mega nerd. There's a book everyone should check out. the warrior side of you. You got to. That everyone should check out. Um, I'm not going to say the author until I look this up. Um, but uh, it's called The Fighter's Mind by Sam uh, Sheridan. Oh, I'm going to read this, actually. Thank it you. It is Ian. one of the most... This this is up there with... Uh, what are some other like staple books? This is up there with the Art of War. Art of War. This is up there one. with Twelve Rules for Life. This is up there with. Uh, oh fuck! What's the one I read? Like it was like six months ago. Wait, since we're on this, I'm gonna give my Audible shoutouts right now. Okay. Um. Excuse me. Okay, books that I've recently finished reading that I think are awesome. Okay, let's go through this. Uh, Can't hurt me, David Goggins. Really good. Uh, another one that was really fun and it was, you know, teaches you some basics. Fuck your feelings. Great one. Ryan Munsey. How to Win Friends and Influence People. Great book. Uh, I Love Fishing, so I read How to Think Like a Fish by Jeremy Waite. Not a good book at all. It was, but shout out Jeremy Waite. I just had to support him. Uh, <laughs> um, understanding. So uh, for a little bit, I was like, why is it that people are so drawn to drugs and alcohol? So one thing that I read that was interesting to understand, like the psychology behind it. Uh, easy way to con- the easy way to control alcohol. Alan Carr, great one. Park Place. Tony Ferris talks about investing. Uh, really good. Talks about um, basically mobile home, not like trailer parks, basically, but nice ones. So mobile homes, th- places like that, and how they're really good investments and they can cash flow really well. Um, that's really good to read. Uh, Rational Male by Rollo Tomasi, great one. Talks about female like dynamics and female male interdynamics. You know, you could say about it what you want, but it's important to understand these things. Take read both sides of the, you know, coin usually so you can kind of understand what is this coin? Mm-hmm. Where do I lie? <laughs> 12 rules for life, Jordan Peterson. Uh Millionaire Next Door, great one for mindset and mentality. Millionaire Next Door, super super good. Super hard read, especially if you're listening to an audiobook, but get through it, it's necessary. Um all the rich dad stuff, rich dad advisors, tax free wealth, rich dad, poor dad, um, think and grow rich. Oh no, sorry. Think and grow rich is the one that's a lot really difficult to get through. A uh, millionaire next door is still difficult cause it's just a lot of data, but, um, yeah, think and grow rich. Um, ABCs of real estate, rich dad advisors, uh, skin in the game by Nassim Nicholas Tlaib. Super good. Helps you understand how, like how there's different, when people operate in systems, they oftentimes miss, like they redistribute risk. And if you start making decisions for a group of people and you now have no skin in the game, there's no risk for you. You start making reckless decisions. So the concept of having skin in the game always when making decisions and kind of elevating corporations or organizations or groups of people is so important. I actually didn't finish that one yet, but that's my understanding so far. Uh, Personal MBA, Master the Art of Business. Uh, I've gone through that a little bit, skimmed it. It's kind of a hard read, but it's good. Um, Reminiscence of a stock operator, really good. Teaches you about like the basics of like the market and how it was back then. Old school stock people, pretty crazy. Um, Stuff on economics. uh, Oh, Atomic Habits, James Clear. So good, so good. So important to understand how you put structure in your day. Atomic Habits, great. Extreme Ownership, Jocko, fire. Super fire. 
he talks about like the basic leadership principles and how taking ownership is so important. He applies that in his military experience and he also applies that to how it is in businesses. And then his whole business consulting company that he has for like leadership consulting and things like that. So sick. Um, Trump art of the deal. Trump's gangster, bro. I know he maybe not be the best person, but he is gangster and how he did some of his stuff. So it's good yeah. to kind of know how people operate in the world. You ever come across someone who's like Trump, you kind of understand his game. So reading Art of the Deal, good. $100 million offers Alex Hormozzi, one of the best books I have ever read. Amazing. If you're into business at all, $100 million offers Alex Hormozzi. It basically, if you have an idea that's valid, read the book. And as you read the book, you progress the idea. You come out of the book with a business. Yeah. It's fucking sick. Uh, spin selling. Just started getting into that one. Kind of wanted to understand some basic sales stuff. Uh, the Alchemist by Paulo Co- Coelho. I don't know how to say it. Um, super good. Super good. Great story. Helps you to realize like the hero's journey and dream and like belief and trusting in yourself and reading around the world. And there's so many energetic things in the world that you can kind of get in tune with. You can generate power just beyond yourself. Um, super important. <laughs> Four Agreements, Don Miguel Ruiz, helps you to understand life in a different perspective. Not through reading that one yet, but still good. Never Finish, David Goggins. David Goggins' second book. Bro, if you like the first one, the second one's better. So good. Um, the one I just downloaded, The End of the World is Just the Beginning by Peter Z- uh, Zion or Zion. Dude, he's talking about geopolitical stuff. I saw him on Rogan. I watched most of his stuff. It's crazy. You guys need to know about the world. You're going to you're a citizen in the world. You have to know what's going on. Reading about geopolitical like current geopolitical states and matters and affairs and what's going on in the world, it's super important, especially if you're a man. You got to know what you're doing. What's the next move? So you got to read what's the chessboard is. So yeah, I'm super excited about that book. Okay, that was my list, super long. I just wanted to do that at some point. <laughs> no, it's all good. This this book belongs in there. Um this guy, so I read the book when I first started out. Um boxing and uh I, I need to read it again as my life and uh, experiences have evolved and changed um it's by sam uh sheridan and he has a crazy resume of life experience he's a boxer a martial artist um produces movies and shows now and used to be you know pretty extensive resume in terms of where he's been well traveled was a marine was you know has has a has a bunch of different titles to him. But what the book ultimately talks about is if you live your life as if you're an MMA fighter, mm. what what that means. And um ultimately everything you do every day is going to contribute to your life or death. Um and you know, your body is is your machine. Yeah. It is your if you train harder, you increase your chances of survival. And if we literally look at the the title of the book, it's the fighter's mind inside the mental game. Oh, dude, it, dude, thank you. I needed to read a book about fighting. This is sick. And he has another one. His first is actually a second book. The first one's called The Fighter's Heart. Um, I really, I'll read both. Are they? I good? think even I think Fighter's Heart is a better second read. Okay. Fighter's Mind. Okay. Um. He he quotes a lot of other books. He quotes a lot of other texts. He quotes a lot of ancient texts, modern. Um, and it really breaks down the psychology and thought process and emotions of fighting, which in turn, he's breaking down something 
people have lost touch with. And like I said, it's, this this is obviously designed for fighters uh, to read, but it's one everyone can read. And they might not be following all the things he says to do to the same degree or the same you know, strict parameters that he's laying out in the book. But it's... It's one of those that, like, if you're going to be in the ring, if you're if you're thinking you want to pursue this, mm-hmm. I've personally seen uh, fighters change and pick up their game and their hustle, like uh, like a unquantifiable amount after, after reading it. After reading this, oh wow, okay. So this is like Dude, I, so I've, jumping into boxing as a commitment now. I yeah. definitely should read this. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a crazy one. Um, so. Dope. But yeah, I think we got, we're in an hour, right? Yeah, we're about there. Call it. I think we... Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. This episode, I went on a co- several rants. Uh, Ian, thanks for uh, giving me that time there. Absolutely. And also, um, these are things that I'm just really concerned about, guys, and I, I really want everyone to try to try to be the best person they possibly can because um, things are changing, and they're changing fast, man. Like, like the world's, world's going... I don't, I don't know. And you, we got to try and figure out what it is and try and uh, respond appropriately. Be the best person that you possibly can in this world. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll elaborate on some more things. I really want to get into more about AI later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, send us out of here. Kings of suburbia. Let's go. Hey. <laughs>